Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to the CBS Evening News ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. This is the CBS Evening News with Nora O'Donnell, reporting from the nation's capital. Good evening, and thank you so much for joining us. As we come on the air, the Democratic candidates for president are hoping what happens in Vegas tonight won't stay there, but will jumpstart their campaigns heading into this weekend's caucus. It's the ninth debate for Democrats, but there's a newcomer. Billionaire Michael Bloomberg arrives with a target on his back. He's facing accusations from his opponents that he is trying to buy the presidency, that he's made sexist comments as a businessman, and that he promoted racist policies as mayor of New York. In turn, Bloomberg is expected to make the case he is the only viable alternative to frontrunner Bernie Sanders, even though Sanders now leads the pack in several new polls. Today, the Bloomberg and Sanders campaigns went at each other, even sparring over the two candidates' health. Nicole Killian leads us off tonight from Las Vegas. How are you feeling today, Senator? I'm feeling good. Appearing with picketing union workers in Las Vegas, several Democratic hopefuls made clear they will demand answers tonight from the newest debater, Mike Bloomberg. I'm glad he's up there because he's got to answer questions like the rest of us. He can spend a lot of money, but he can't change his record. But Bloomberg is sizing up the competition, too. A new campaign memo warns the fractured field could make Bernie Sanders, a Democratic Socialist, unstoppable. If Biden, Buttigieg and Klobuchar remain in the race, it states they will propel Sanders to a seemingly insurmountable delegate lead by siphoning votes away from Bloomberg. The campaigns today also focused on the heart health of Sanders and Bloomberg, both 78. Sanders, who suffered a heart attack last fall, was asked last night if he would release more medical records. I don't don't think we will, know. This morning, a Sanders aide incorrectly said Bloomberg had heart attacks, too. The former New York mayor's team shot back, saying he only had coronary stents put in and that facts matter. This isn't the way to defeat Donald Trump in November. And Nicole joins us tonight from Vegas. And Nicole, as Bloomberg and Sanders surge, Joe Biden has had double-digit drop in the latest national polls. What are the stakes for him tonight? 
Well, Biden is banking on a good showing here in Nevada and South Carolina to regain his footing. His campaign tells us that it believes Bloomberg is profoundly unvetted when it comes to his past comments about minorities, women and the transgender community. And it's possible that Biden could call Bloomberg out over what the Biden campaign says are dishonest ads about Bloomberg's relationship with former President Obama. Nora. All right, Nicole, thank you. A programming note, Gail King and I will be in Charleston, South Carolina, moderating the next Democratic presidential debate. That's next Tuesday night, beginning at 8 Eastern, right here on CBS. Hope you'll join us. Today, President Trump kept up his barrage of tweets about the Justice Department, even as Attorney General Bill Barr considers quitting if the president doesn't stop. And there are new details that are emerging that connect the president, his pardons, and the people who pushed for them. Ben Tracy reports tonight. President Trump is not taking his attorney general's advice to back off when it comes to tweeting about the Department of Justice, demanding justice for himself this morning, and retweeting a call on Attorney General Barr to clean house at the department. Yeah, I do make his job harder. I do agree with that. I think that's true. CBS News has learned that Barr was so fed up with President Trump's Twitter habit that he considered resigning. But sources say things have cooled off for now. The president defended his recent pardons and commutations, including former Illinois Governor Rod Blagojevich, convicted of trying to sell Barack Obama's Senate seat after he became president. Mr. Trump argued Blagojevich did not sell the seat, and his move prompted thanks from the one-time Celebrity Apprentice contestant today. I'm a Trumpocrat. The Trumpocrats, that's right. If I have the ability to vote, I'm going to vote for him. Meanwhile, the family of Paul Pogue, whose sentence Trump also commuted, has given more than $200,000 to the president's re-election campaign. And prominent GOP donor Nelson Peltz, who hosted a $10 million fundraiser for the president in his Palm Beach home, push for the pardon to junk bond king Michael Milken. Ben joins us now from Phoenix where the president's holding a rally tonight. So Ben, the other big news, one of the top officials at the Pentagon is out. Is this all part of the president's post-impeachment purge? Well, that's not clear, but his name is John Root, and he is the top policy official at the Pentagon, and he says that President Trump asked for his resignation. Now, Root was involved in certifying that Ukraine had made enough reforms to get that $250 million worth of U.S. military aid, which was being withheld at the time. That undermined President Trump's argument that he was withholding that aid because of corruption in Ukraine. Nora. Ben, at a very noisy rally tonight. Ben, thank you. A Russian agent, an FBI informant, and a Mexican scientist leading a double life. Sounds like the plot of a Cold War thriller. But authorities say the threads all come together in Florida, where an alleged spy was arrested as he tried to flee the country. Jeff Begays has the details. From all indications, Hector Cabrera Fuentes is an accomplished Mexican professor living in Singapore. But U.S. investigators believe he's actually a spy for the Russian government operating in South Florida. Authorities say that on orders from the Kremlin, Fuentes and his wife spend Valentine's Day gathering intelligence on an FBI informant who was watching Russian spy activity in South Florida. The couple drove a rental car to a gated housing complex in Miami and entered by tailgating another vehicle. Once inside, they took a photograph of the U.S. government source's vehicle license plate. Federal agents found the photos on their phones as they were boarding a flight to Mexico City Sunday night. Fuentes was recruited by a Russian agent in Moscow where he has a second family. 
According to investigators, the agent implied that he would help Fuentes family if he agreed to help them. This is certainly the way that Putin likes to operate. Eric O'Neill is a former FBI counterintelligence mm -hmm. operative who studied Russian sleeper agents like Anna Chapman and Maria Butina. The FBI has to be scrambling to figure out how did Russia learn that this informant was working against their interests. Fuentes will be in court Friday, and while U.S. authorities say that he doesn't appear to be a highly trained spy, the bottom line here is that the Russians didn't think that he would draw a lot of attention, Nora, as he zeroed in on that FBI informant. Quite a story, Jeff. Thank you. All right, tonight, more cases of the new coronavirus are confirmed on that cruise ship in Japan. Most of the American passengers have been flown home, but there are more than 620 confirmed cases on that Diamond Princess. And with new numbers just coming in tonight, there are now more than 75,000 cases of the new coronavirus worldwide. More than 2,100 people have died. Tonight, two 13-year-olds are in custody in California facing charges of arson, conspiracy and manslaughter after a fire in a small town library left one firefighter dead and another missing. Jonathan Vigliotti reports. The massive fire was fueled by thousands of books, and even though the Porterville Fire Department was just next door, crews struggled to contain the inferno. Flames are seen inside the library. 55 firefighters fought 12 hours to put it out. And after so much destruction, heartbreak. The city of Portville has identified Fire Captain Raymond Figueroa, 35 years old, as the firefighter who was killed in, in the city of Portville Library Fire. An emotional fire chief announcing the death of his captain, a 13-year veteran. 25-year-old firefighter Patrick Jones is still unaccounted for. The ceiling did collapse into the library. Officials believe the blaze started in the kids' section just after 4 p.m. Tuesday. The public library, built in 1953, did not have a sprinkler system. Librarians evacuated those inside and alerted police to two suspicious teenagers seen running away. Tonight, a small town mourns the loss of its only library and the two young heroes who fought to save it. And it's still unclear if these teenagers will be tried as adults. The entire fire department is taking the next three days off to grieve. Fire departments from around the region are being brought in to help out. Nora. Just a devastating story. Jonathan, thank you. Today, the jury at Harvey Weinstein's rape trial finished its second day of deliberations. Still no verdict. The movie mogul smiled as he left court today, but when a reporter asked if he was worried, Weinstein went stone-faced and shook his head. Jurors have asked to look over testimony from actress Rosie Perez, who backed up actress Annabella Sciorra's claim that Weinstein raped her in the 1990s. Tonight, we're learning chilling details of what the sheriff in Nashville calls the most significant security breach in the city's history. Police broke up a plot for a huge jailbreak. The alleged ringleader is a well-known advocate for prison reform. And tonight, officials are still searching for weapons he may have planted in the jail. And we'll Horkis on what the investigation turned up. Authorities say Alex Friedman's scheme involved dressing as a construction worker and stealing keys to plant loaded guns and ammunition at an under-construction downtown Nashville detention center for a, quote, massive escape plan. It was discovered that Mr. Friedman, over many months, had developed and implemented an extremely deliberate and, in my opinion, evil plan. What disturbs me most is not that this was about an escape. 
It was also about loss of life. The private prisons could not exist without the collusion of government agencies that give them permission to exist. Friedman is a self-described criminal justice advocate. An ex-convict himself, he became a high-profile voice against private prisons, featured in multiple news reports and documentaries, even testifying on Capitol Hill. His attorney today said Friedman is presumed innocent, but did not address the allegations. He was first detained in January and rearrested last night. Police are looking for three other men they believe may have helped Friedman. I'm not confident that we have found everything we need. We're not going to work here until we're comfortable. That also means changing nearly 2,000 locks before the detention center can open. Manuel Bojorquez, CBS News. A third teenage boy is under arrest tonight in connection with the murder of Barnard College student Tessa Majors. 14-year-old Luciano Lewis surrendered to police today and was charged as an adult. Two other boys, 14 and 13 years old, are also charged in the robbery and stabbing in New York City's Morningside Park last December. Police say they tracked down the suspects through DNA evidence and a stolen cell phone. There is news tonight from the royal family. Prince Harry and Meghan Markle will officially step down as senior members on March 31st. But still to be resolved is whether they can cash in on their royal relations. Elizabeth Palmer reports from London. For now, it may be his and her royal highness. But in six weeks, Harry and Meghan will drop this grandest form of address and be known simply as the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. It's both a title and key to their new brand, Sussex Royal, which already has 11.2 million Instagram followers. At the moment, it promotes their charity work and projects like Meghan's guest editing of Vogue magazine with her celebrity connections. Meghan, I'm so proud of you for using your amazing platform and your strong voice. But the trademark application Harry and Meghan filed for Sussex Royal would allow for the marketing of everything from paper to pajamas. And today the palace said, using that word royal, it's a problem. In fact, they may have to drop it. Mark Barkowski is a branding expert. The Queen obviously stopping them using the title shows that the gloves are off. Um, they fear the power of Meghan and Harry. To underline the break between Prince Harry and the inner circle of the royal family, he's had to give up the office he kept in Buckingham Palace behind me. But the door is open for renegotiations. All parties involved have agreed that they'll revisit this deal a year from now. Nora? All right, Liz, thank you. There's breaking news from Germany. At least eight people are dead after a mass shooting in a city near Frankfurt. There are reports that victims were shot at two separate hookah lounges. No word yet on the motive. Tonight, NASCAR driver Ryan Newman is home from the hospital less than 48 hours after that fiery crash at Monday's Daytona 500. And the more you watch the wreck, the harder it is to believe he wasn't seriously hurt. Nikki Batiste has more on Newman's speedy recovery. Ryan Newman's wife called it the best sight ever as the NASCAR driver walked out of a Florida hospital today holding his daughter's hand. Hours after his racing team posted this photo of Newman smiling with his two girls still in his hospital gown. 
It was only 48 hours ago that the 18-time cup winner was leading the Daytona 500 when his Ford teammate Ryan Blaney made contact with Newman's bumper, which sent his number six Ford crashing into the wall and into the air before being struck on the driver's side by Corey LaJoy's car and bursting into flames. LaJoy joked on Twitter today saying, hey Ryan, you forgot your shoes. Since Dale Earnhardt Sr.'s death in 2001, drivers now have an upgraded seatbelt and harness system, fire retardant suits, and new, more crash-absorbent walls have replaced concrete around the perimeter of every track. No details on 42-year-old Newman's injuries have been released, but his family is just glad to have him home. Nikki Batiste, CBS News, New York. In Louisville, Kentucky, a masked gunman picked the wrong restaurant to hold up. Surveillance video shows the robbery going down at Raising Cane's Chicken Fingers on Saturday night, which happened to be date night for two off-duty police officers. Officer Nicole McCowan and her husband, Detective Chase McCowan, got up from their table. You can see drew their guns and chased the suspect out of the restaurant. They caught him about a block away. How's that for a date night? Some of America's greatest heroes in World War II never left the U.S., and no one has championed their story quite like a young lady who was born nearly six decades after the war. Here's Nicole Killian. I think women should have a rightful place in Washington, D.C. 18-year-old Raya Kenny wants to build a monument to the working women of World War II. They are better known as the Rosies, the women who donned overalls and went to work as riveters, welders, and in other male-dominated jobs during the war. Your inspiration was the movie A League of Their Own. Yes. Why that movie? I, it was the first time that I had seen women taking the role that a man had held previously and that a woman had never held. There's no crying in baseball! The V formation symbolizes victory. Raya built a model of her monument for a fifth grade school assignment. I wanted to change the narrative. Even at 10. Even at 10, <laughs> yeah. Raya is in touch with one of the surviving Rosies. 98-year-old Phyllis Gould lives in California and worked as a welder in a Bay Area shipyard. I actually just love the work. Raya and Phyllis have never met in person, but they share a common goal. It's so perfect. It's just incredible. And she's just a determined young woman that she'll get it done, too. This is not a quick or easy process, but it's an important one. With the support of D.C.'s delegate, she is ready to tackle any hurdles along the way, and she still gets inspiration from the Rosies. I have to keep that motto in mind. We can do it. There are setbacks. It takes a long time. There's a lot of waiting for things to be done, but we can do it. Nicole Killian, CBS News, Washington. On tomorrow's CBS Evening News, an artist inspired by the past who's an inspiration for all of us. And that is tonight's CBS Evening News. I'm Nora O'Donnell here in Washington. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Have a good night. If you like the CBS Evening News, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Are you ready for an all-new season of Survivor? You better be because Survivor 46 is here and it's 90 minutes of twists and turns you don't want to miss. 
Better yet, after each episode, there's a brand new episode of On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. Each week, we go behind the scenes of the episode's biggest moments, taking you into the how and the why things happened. And this season, we're very lucky to be joined by an expert, the winner of Survivor 45, Devi Adaris. What is up? I'm thrilled to be joining this team and to be giving you my take on how and the why players made the moves they did, what it takes to outwit, outplay, and outlast, and to ask Jeff some questions because even after 26 days out there, there is still a lot for me to uncover. Bring it, D. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. 